Welcome, one and all, to episode 69 of the Scum and Villainy nice. Podcast, the weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah to George. How are you feeling about 69 episodes under the belt? <laughs> I am under the belt? Is that... That's, that's right. definitely not a <laughs> that's not a Freudian slip uh, because it's the funny number. That's 69 right. is a funny number. And boy, howdy, we made it all the way this far. Yeah, man. Feels good. Feels it, good, man. It feels better than 68. 69 feels good. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, that is what I'm saying. 69 episodes is what feels good. Oh, to have okay. Under cool, your cool, belt. Cool, 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 cool. OK, that makes sense. Glad we cleared that up. Uh, you and I, children gathering together <laughs> to talk Star Wars. Uh, last week was a bit of a slower news week, but we still had some fun discussions nonetheless. Uh, but today we do have some more news. Uh, we even had to omit a few stories because we had some things that we had to discuss today. Uh, Noah, on today's show, we have a new look at an Obi-Wan Kenobi documentary series coming our way. Uh, we've also got some new Star Wars Jedi books announced. Uh, not Jedi, like the general Jedi, but the series star wars jedi in the fallen order canon uh we've got some new books coming our way in that regard we've also got some updates on knights of the old republic the video game remake seems like that is plowing forward uh and then you and i are going to be ending our discussion here talking about the deeper meaning of lightsabers kind of how we as fans have perceived lightsabers how that's evolved over the years how that's evolved for you and i specifically so very excited to be talking about that there uh but noah up first bright and early this morning the trailer poster and press release all from disney was released uh, for obi-wan kenobi a jedi return uh, which is a behind the scenes documentary which will be released on disney plus day um, I'm going to go ahead and read the press release for this series, which reads, uh, with never-before-seen behind-the-scenes footage, colorful personal stories, and meaningful moments, Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, showcases the making of Lucasfilm's original limited series for Disney+, Plus, Obi-Wan Kenobi, an epic story that begins 10 years after the dramatic events of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. This insightful documentary from Lucasfilm and Supper Club explores the return of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker to the screen, and Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen to their respective classic roles. Director Deborah Chow, cast, and crew reflect on their journey to tell a new story with iconic Star Wars characters Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader, and Princess Leia while introducing new heroes and villains into the uh, saga along the way, complete with visits to the creature shop, props department, and more. Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return features this side of filmmaking that makes Star Wars so unique, the respect and passion for the generation-spanning legacy and the beloved characters. Noah, I don't know about you, but this came out this morning and it was like that weird time where you like you you first wake up, at least for me, like you first wake up, you kind of just instinctually go on your phone because that's the way that my brain works. And I saw the poster, which is like kind of a, uh, you know, a behind the, the back shot of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Tatooine planes. And I was like, oh, shit, is this season two of Kenobi right now? <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of zeroed in on the on the cameras in the, the, you know, the boom operator in the background. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. Oh, there's a trailer okay great uh what was your reaction to the trailer and the poster and then uh, some of the details that we've got on this upcoming documentary well uh my, my first uh the, the first impression for me this morning was uh i went on my phone i went on youtube first um mm -hmm. and was like oh i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch you know some some videos this morning and um i saw i saw like the the thumbnail 
is very reminiscent of the official poster for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And so like at first I was like, Oh, like somebody's talking about Kenobi. And then I was like, Oh, it's uh, the official star Wars channel. (laughs) Oh, the title says official trailer. What's happening? Where, what are we, what's going on? And I was like, okay, got it. Got it. Got it. So I did watch the trailer uh, bright and early this morning. Um, General thoughts. uh, I, this is one of those things where it's like, my first thought was, can do we get to a point ever where there's like too many Star Wars behind the scenes documentaries? Like, what is that point? When do we get there? Because we've got like Disney gallery stuff and we've got like all the behind the scenes stuff on yeah. the DVDs. Mm-hmm. We've got Empire of Dreams. We've got like this, the Disney gallery stuff. We've got under the helmet Boba Fett stuff. Now we've got this. And we've also got light and magic, which we talked about not too long ago. Mm-hmm. It's just funny that it's just like, everything is still so interesting like in front of the camera and behind the camera that we can make a whole thing about it and it still feels so like nostalgic and it feels so like important to to be able to shine a light on so obi-wan kenobi to me especially though is one of those things where knowing the perception let's just say the mixed perception um throughout the duration of the series something like this is going to shine a little bit brighter to be like, no, like Deborah Chow had so much pressure on her to do something. And she even says it in the trailer that, you know, it's let alone doing this, you have to do it right, you know, and, and doing service to the story and these characters in this galaxy. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know, you know, I'd love to know what went into making this into the thing that, you know, came out that turned out right. And, um, I think that something like this little, you know, special event, little tiny documentary thing, um, is a perfect way to show that it's like, Hey guys, it's not that easy making something like this. It's not that easy. And I think all, all things considered, it turned out really well and I'd Mm -hmm. love to know more about it. So, you know, just pleased a pleasant, a pleasant surprise this morning from, from star Wars official YouTube channel. Yeah, the day that I don't want to see Star Wars behind the scenes uh, <laughs> videos and documentaries is the day that I'm dead. So <laughs> um, I, I appreciate that Lucasfilm is continuing this trend of documenting, uh, documenting the the behind the scenes uh, experience of making these uh, these stories that inspire us and that we all love so much. Um, obviously, there's different fan re- fan reactions to the show, but as far as you know, a lot of the Disney era content obi-wan seems to be generally one of the more positive things that people really liked um which is great um i i am also glad that um even like on the marvel side of things with like the avengers assembled um behind the scenes featurettes that they have there there still seems to be an an interest to see these behind the scenes stories sees the see the filmmaking that goes into everything and that it's not all just you know computers and and ones and zeros here there are people here and they're they're making and they're putting their their heart and soul into all this kind of stuff even the the computer effects um i just want to first address this poster here that we got which like i said is a rear uh shot of a robed figure presumably obi-wan kenobi uh overlooking the lars homestead with uh some like i said a boom operator um uh camera guy what appears to be owen and brew but i just love that like 
this looks like Ewan just stepped off his trailer and he's just like watching filming from afar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, it's like they, they drove out, they drove out to like the deserts of California and yeah. he had just woken up. They were like, Hey, Hey, uh, Mr. McGregor, we're, we're here. We're here. And he's like, Oh, what, what, what? Okay. Hold, <laughs> hold on. And then he just like steps out and everybody's all already set up and he's like, Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> he's still on like the European time. You know, he's yeah. still jet lagged and everything. Uh no, it is a it is a cool looking uh poster. It's it is reminiscent kind of of the the flip side of the poster that we got. You know, exactly, it's like a it's yeah. not like the front facing of him watering the desert. It's like the behind of it. So behind behind the scenes uh, Got it. Uh, get your red circles and your arrows ready um but no this i uh, you know as far as the the disney gallery and stuff um they they do seem to be changed like kind of uh, switching directions perhaps i don't know if they're going to be offering new um new titles for all of this sort of stuff or is disney gallery just relegated to like the mando verse like is andor going to be disney gallery again like or i'm wondering if they're kind of um, going away from that like i said the avengers assembled thing is all under that title with you know the avengers assembled you know doctor strange multiverse of madness or whatever or this they are kind of switching up the title a little bit um, I do want to say that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, uh, and A Return of the Jedi, uh, they sound like uh, like have you ever uh, submitted like an essay for school and like they're saying the sentence is too passive? <laughs> a Jedi's Return is like the the corrected version of Return of the Jedi. Uh, That's just, very funny. It's yes. just too it's too passive of a sentence, Noah. Um, but this trailer, yeah, does seem to really capture the spirit of this documentary as far as having Ewan and having Hayden back and them being thrilled to be returned uh, to these roles and also to the fans. That was something that really surprised me and is not something that we have really had the opportunity to see that much of I guess um, because there's not been a Star Wars celebration and this is kind of the first show that has been able to be debuted for Star Wars celebration since you know Mando season one back in the day you know so I, yeah. I love that there were shots from that big panel at celebration didn't get to get in. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. You will be okay. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, you'll okay? get to watch it on September 8th. It's like, it's, Thank you. it's just like you're there. Thank you. Uh, but I love that this is involving um, the fans because like I, this, you know, this means so much to so many people, the, these roles and these portrayals of these roles in particular mean so much to so many people. And that was also such a huge thing leading up to the show, as opposed to a, you know, book of Boba Fett, no shame, no shade, you know, cast to that show at all. But, you know, uh, Ewan and Hayden mean so much to so many people, especially people um, like your and I's age. So to see them step back into the proverbial Jedi boots, as it were, you know, um, that's that's so exciting. And I think that, yeah, this is going to be a very uh, a really sentimental documentary. But I wanted to ask, is there any. Um, behind the scenes details or info that in particular you're really looking forward to hearing because for me with the book of Boba Fett it was like I want to see that deep fake you know Luke Skywalker stuff like what was that all about because it looks so much better like did you know what was that all that info is there anything that you're like oh man I can't wait to see more about that uh actually yes there is one thing in particular and it's uh Here's kind of where I'm coming from with this. We've seen, a, you know, when it when it was leading up to the show, kind of throughout the show, we had a lot of promotion with 
Ewan and with Hayden and even with Moses Ingram on, you know, on kind of a, a, a stage talking about things and answering mm-hmm. questions and whatnot. Yeah. Doing promotion for the show. This in particular is the time that I want to see more of how not only uh, the actress herself, but how the rest of the cast and crew responded and uplifted someone like Vivian Lyra Blair into the role of Princess Leia. Mm -hmm. That is something I'm really, really, really hoping to see is some dedicated time to having, uh, you know, a fresh off the boat actor, actress, you know, child actress playing a character as important as Princess Leia and honestly kind of nailing it, blowing it out of the water, getting in, you know, just, absolutely hitting the hearts of tons and tons of fans. Oh yeah. Um, something I'm very, very excited to see. So, uh, that would be the one thing for me. Sec close second though, is there are a few shots in the trailer of, uh, some of the fight choreography, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, that's not a surprise. Uh, but I really am interested in some of the modern ways that fight choreography is, uh, set up and then also shot, uh, because, the techniques of visual effects when it comes to the lightsabers has uh, changed a lot recently. Yeah. And that was something that I know, you know, even people that we know kind of were a little bit put off by like those lightsabers look super, super blue or whatever. Um, So I'd like to know a little bit more about that because this is kind of the first chance that we've had to interact with that in a, in an extended setting on a Disney Plus series. Um, so those are kind of the two things that I'm looking forward to. Sorry if I stole one of yours or no, both of all. yours. Not at all. No, I already saw people online tweeting um, like the, the gifts of Revenge of the Sith behind the scenes of them training. And then, you know, because we get a brief glimpse of it, of, of oh, Ewan and yeah. Hayden in this uh, training. So that's really exciting. And then also kind of, you know, it was pretty much confirmation that Hayden is in the suit doing the, the fight choreography. He's not just doing the voice or the, you know, the, uh, the mask cracked sequences it's that's him uh for you know maybe not for every single shot but at least enough that he had to go there and train for it so that's really exciting um i'm right there with you as far as the the casting process of, of uh, vivian as young leia uh that makes me think of the phantom menace uh where they're casting young anakin and you get that that tryout kind of uh experience of jake lloyd as well as like the two other kids <laughs> who yeah. are like get like to the kind of the fat the last you know uh, uh round of casting there and it's like oh man what could have been for that guy you know <laughs> um so that that that's really interesting uh, i hope we do get to see some of that as far as you know uh, maybe some audition tapes or something like that that could be really cool um I also am just generally curious, are they going to address the Moses Ingram stuff at all? Who knows? You know, it's that doesn't necessarily have to do with a lot of the making of this, but certainly the reaction. Um, I don't know if they, they want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Who knows? Um, uh, I would be welcome to exploring that kind of stuff. Am I expecting it? Not really. Um, but I think it'd be, would be, uh, could be really interesting as far as did they prep her on this kind of stuff or, you know, was that a conscious decision to put, uh, not just a woman, but a black woman on the forefront of this of story. Um, I think that'd be really, um, interesting and also really important to discuss when, um, uh, in regards to the kind of the behind the scenes details of this, of uh, this series. Um, I'm also interested 
interested to see uh, if they're going to touch on the movie, the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Was there any, you know, uh, we know that some of the writers of that film are credited um, for this series. That's kind of, a, uh, you know, a WGA sort of thing. You're using some, it doesn't matter if it's one, two, three, you know, or half of an idea. You kind of have to credit those people. That's just kind of how the industry works. Um, so I'd be curious to see if, you know, what was left of that series that or that movie that did make it into the series um, just kind of address why they transitioned into a series, why they thought that was a better idea. Um, I think that that would be really fascinating. I think the thing overall, though, number one that I'm wanting to see is uh, I want an interview with John Williams uh, where he's Oof. talking about him, you know, crafting the theme for Kenobi and what was going through his mind when he was making this and why he chose to step in here because um, he just did the the theme. He didn't do the overall score. So I would be really uh, excited to see some uh, info from him and, you know, any insight from John Williams is uh, is good in my book. So yeah, I can't wait to see this uh this streams on september 8th on disney plus day i'm very excited to uh return to uh obi-wan kenobi uh to uh get some more behind the scenes detail will any tea be spilt noah we'll just have to wait and see we'll we'll see but i will say i am glad that we're getting some star wars content for disney plus day Mm -hmm. always always welcome i was i was worried there i was worried there for a little bit we'll see i was thinking i was thinking that was you know we were gonna be Left high and dry, but we are quite wet. That is, that's for certain sure. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Um, I'm also curious if they're going to do any quote unquote surprise screenings because, uh, you know, Rogue One is going back into theaters this this weekend. I don't know. Did you get your tickets? Are you going to go see Rogue uh, One? I, I unfortunately will not be attending Rogue One and IMAX because the nearest IMAX uh, to me is about 40 minutes away. Gotcha. Um, and it's just... I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Not yeah. my, not my cup of tea to drive 40 minutes when, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, actually, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be rewatching Rogue One soon. Um, regardless whether it's here yes. for the podcast or my, my, I think I'd mentioned last episode, my dad wants to rewatch, uh, all the star Wars movies. Uh, so either way I'll be getting my fill of Jin and her, her gang of bandits, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I uh, will be seeing that uh, this Friday going with my lovely girlfriend who this is her first time seeing Rogue One. So uh, excited wow. that she gets to experience that in IMAX. So that'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm curious if we're going to get a Disney Plus Day secret screening because Rogue One was the one that they showed um, last year. It wasn't exactly a year ago. It was more recent than that. So it seems like Disney Plus Day kind of fluctuates. It's like uh, it's like Easter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just on a whatever Sunday, but it's like, it's not a set thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. I actually recently learned, I thought that Memorial or not Memorial Day. I thought that Labor Day was on September 3rd every year. It's not. It's just on the first Monday of September. Yeah, I knew that. I didn't know that. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> no, I knew that. And I think, uh, I think most people know that. So I'm glad you're, uh, you're you know, glad you're caught up. Glad you're with the I'm program. With We're here guys. Um, I, yeah, don't worry. I'm here. We made it. Sunday's like the second Easter or the second, excuse me. Easter <laughs> is like the second Sunday of March, April. Is it April? No, it's, that's the thing is it, it changes. So it changes. So it changes much month to too. where it's like, yeah, well, no, I don't think it changes month. I think it's like it could be April 1st or it could be like April 24th. And it's like, hey, guys, it's Easter time, I guess. Who decides that? Is it the government? 
the how is the Easter date determined? Okay, housekeeping. Okay. Um, while you're uh, talking about whatever our next topic is, I'm just going to be reading about Easter, just so you know. So, so. Uh, <laughs> next up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, new Star Wars Jedi books have been announced. Uh, two brand new books set in the world of Star Wars Jedi. The video games, Noah, have been announced in preparation for the launch of Jedi Survivor uh, sometime next year probably March, uh, but StarWars.com has revealed that an original novel titled Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars um, is coming from author Sam Maggs, as well as a companion uh, book of book, you know, uh, kind of like an art, you know, so it was uh, kind of a companion book. We got one of those for Fallen Order, but as far yeah. as original story content, this is a novel, uh, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars, author Sam Maggs, uh, the novel reunites us with Cal Kestis and the mantis crew during the five-year gap between fallen order and survivor uh this book will arrive on march 7th 2023 um this is mag's first time writing a star wars novel although she uh or uh, although they um wrote idw star wars adventures comic series and had a short story in the recently released star Wars uh, stories of jedi and sith collection uh she was also a writer on knights of the old republic remake temporarily so um, Noah, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars, uh, will it find your way on uh, your bookshelf? Or, you know, is it our classic problem uh, that we encounter on this show, you know? That, that I have to learn how to read first? Yeah. You know what? This one is interesting to me. And it's not just because it's a story that I'm familiar with, with characters that I'm connected to, but more so that this is an area that is kind of melding interests of Star Wars media. Mm -hmm. where this is not something that I ever would have expected, honestly. Um, and I just think it's, I think it's really fascinating. I think it's a fascinating approach to, um, to expanding storylines and stuff, uh, because this is outside of a novelization of the movie where it gives you a little bit more info on things. It's yeah. outside of stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's outside of things even like Master and Apprentice or the Obi-Wan Kenobi novel. Um, taking a you know an established story and saying well the next one's coming out but there's also some supplemental stuff in here that you're only going to get in here yeah. that may or may not matter um i mean i'm sure it's you know anybody that plays jedi survivor is not going to be lost if they don't read the book um but th this is this is you know definitely grabbed my attention um so who knows maybe i'll crack out the old dictionary and try to read up on uh, how to read before picking this up because this is I don't know it really know. is a snake eating its own tail. Noah's gonna read up <laughs> sure on how is. to read. <laughs> well, you have to start somewhere, right? <laughs> how did you learn how to read by reading? That's Got true. Em. God, yeah, it just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I what are, what are your thoughts on this? Is this like because I'm like really really intrigued by this? You know, I'm the I'm the type of Star Wars reader, and I'm sure we've addressed it here before, but it's worth uh, reiterating. I'm the type of Star Wars reader that like a book's come out a book is announced or comes out or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds great. And I go buy it. And then it sits on my shelf for approximately four and a half years, you know, <laughs> and then I get around to reading it. I am in the process of reading like multiple books right now. And, uh, it's not like I'm a slow reader. Like I read normally, like the pace of which I read it's that I, my, the gaps between 
me sitting down and reading a book to when I close it and the next time I pick it up is like weeks, you know? Yes. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I, I, the last time I read the last chapter of this book was like last month, you know? So I, in that case, I am a slow reader. Um, so this does sound really, really interesting to me. Um, I anticipate it being kind of um, akin to a book that I did read, uh, which was Resistance Reborn, which was the novel that came out uh, in between Last Jedi and and Rise of Skywalker, yeah, which very yeah. much so was like, okay, you know, it's different than Last Jedi from Force Awakens and that the movie picks up right where it's left off. So our characters have done something in this gap of time. Here's kind of that story. Not necessity. It's not homework. And you're going to be lost not going in, you know, going into this new story. But it does kind of help fill in the gaps, you know. So five years is is quite a long time between um between Fallen Order and Survivor. I'm curious to see, you know, the adventure that Cal and the Mantis crew will be going on. Kind of what's the threat at this time? Um, I don't see it being, you know, something super... Uh, super important to these characters. I would kind of hope that we would explore the most kind of important things that happen to these characters, um, you know, in the games, uh, kind of what these stories are, are known for. I could kind of see this being more of the you know, archaeological side of things, uh, them kind of searching for more information on the Zepho and just kind of the, the, uh, you know, the antagonist of the story, maybe just kind of be the empire. And, you know, yes, they are traveling throughout the galaxy and in that you're going to come up against threats. Um, will it be a particular Imperial officer or somebody who's also looking for artifacts or something like that? You know, that could be cool. Uh, maybe if Palpatine is off searching for certain things, and he dispatches, you know, Lieutenant so-and-so, and and they're also looking for that kind of stuff, and then maybe they kind of butt heads. Like, that could be really interesting. Um, I have no information to lead me to believe that. I'm just trying to think of, you know, I don't see the threat of this, kind of my bigger point. I don't see the threat of this novel being an Inquisitor, being Darth Vader, or something, you know, super, super important. I could see it kind of being a, you know, kind of a one-off villain of somebody who you know, in this five year gap, um, you know, is this novel even going to explore those five years? You know, that would be really interesting. Or is this kind of a, you know, a couple week adventure or is this book spanning over the course of five years? Because if so, you know, that almost kind of feels like required reading to me. Maybe that's just because I'm a, you know, I want to see the character's arc in completion. I don't know. Um, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be kind of an isolated adventure of them trying to find a, you know, certain gemstone or a relic or whatever? Or do you think it's going to be a five year long, you know, adventure? I think that this is probably just knowing the way that Star Wars books kind of uh, how how they're processed. Yeah, I could see this being somewhat of a one-off that's just more supplementary info. I do like kind of where your head is at with the exploratory and kind of mystery slash treasure hunter side of things because yeah. let's be honest, it kind of is. It's very oh, totally. it's very Tomb Raider, you know, for sure. Um. I could see it being sort of that side of it. I'd love, I'm, my head is kind of putting together pieces and I love the idea that maybe battle scars refers to some of the antagonists or the threat that might be encountered. I personally would think that it, maybe it has something to do with remnants of the Republic, whether it be clones or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, some side of, of Cal 
that he can relate to from the fall of the Republic yeah. um, and wrestling with that. What I am interested most in terms of, you know, where this might take us um, in terms of his story is kind of a question going into Star Wars Jedi Survivor is, are we going to, are we going to start the game, you know, back down to skill tree level zero or, you know, do we keep those kind of things um, and advance from there? That's something that I'm interested in with this book is I can see this if this is something that says, you know, in this five year time, here's how Cal has either progressed or kind of, you know, stabilized his ability within the force. Yeah. As well as kind of staying hidden. Um, I could see it going either way, but I know that kind of when it comes to these novelizations based on certain things and kind of set between certain things, it's usually kind of a one-off, um, which is also fine with me because I'm I'm right with you. I don't see this being, you know, Darth Vader again. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. You know? Um, so I'm okay with it being more of a one-off in terms of the story is more important here than some kind of big evil danger or something like that, you know? Yeah. And also the kind of the emotional story that these characters are going on at this time, you know, I, I would be interested uh, to explore stuff like that, but yeah, um, as far as the skill tree thing is concerned, that's, that's interesting. How will that be explored here in this novel? I don't know. <laughs> is there going to be an appendix, you know, in the book where it's like, it's a uh, choose your you own know, adventure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You get to decide you where you spend your, your skill points. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Flip to page yeah. 76. Yeah. If you wanted to use the lightsaber throw, because why wouldn't you, you know, you go to that one. Yeah, there's a Duh. there's a four chapter, uh, you know, kind of intermission there uh, where he's fighting like the grandson of Ogdo Bogdo or whatever. Who's <laughs> 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 come back for revenge. Um, you know, there's another section where it's just you picking out uh, uh, your ponchos and what your outfit's going to be. Um, yeah, just airbrushing BD1. You know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We get more BD1 uh, kind of adventures here. So that'll be really fun, uh, really exciting there. Uh, so, yeah, as far as all that's concerned, concerned. Um, I am definitely curious to see what the story will be. Um, it's also not like a super quick turnaround because uh, I'd kind of alluded it to it at the beginning. Um, there are rumors. You and I had already previously addressed them in, in a prior episode, which is why we're not like that's why it's not kind of the main uh, topic of discussion in regards to, you know, Jedi Survivor um, that you know, a lot of signs are kind of pointing that this game will come out for sure spring 2023 but it's either like a late march early april kind of thing which if it, that is the case that only leaves like two to three weeks from when this book comes out to when you're actually got your hands on the game so that's kind of what leads me to believe that it's not going to be some you've got to read this kind of material here i mostly see it as kind of fulfilling the emotional canon of these characters filling in that gap that gives you a better idea of where these characters are you had mentioned kind of the the battle scars you know what does that title tell us um i could i could see it definitely referring to some order 66 stuff even though you know fallen order deals with a lot of that stuff pretty head on a lot of that is like the guilt that cal has as a result right. of order 66 and kind of the you know, frankly, trauma that he has because of that event. Um, so I don't, you know, see them covering that ground again. Um, it could be, it could definitely happen for sure. Um, but all that to say, yeah, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars uh, does sound really interesting. I think it's fascinating that this is, you know, we got a Battlefront book um, uh, floating around uh, before uh, Battlefront 2 came out. So uh, 
yeah, very, very interesting that this is kind of um, coming out again. Um, we already had some comic books that came out before the first game, so maybe we'll also get some uh, other kind of uh, uh, you know published material here leading up to this new game, but um, all of which just makes me more and more excited for this game. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Yeah, and that's also you know another part of it. This is media hype, right? This is yeah. something we've seen before plenty of times knowing that the art of book will be coming out in may oh yeah um that's that's gonna be after the game that's kind of how it kind of how it goes for sure um typically a month after is usually what we've seen whether it's a novelization or a book rather of the you know the art of yeah you don't want you don't want to have to worry about spoilers and stuff like that with those kind of books you're just going to publish it when you know everybody's gotten you know who's who cares about these books you know everybody's had a chance to play the game watch the movie the tv show whatever yeah yeah so this is you know this is pure you know cross-media hype and uh, yeah, I'm here for it. So <laughs> I'm always excited for cross media hype. We love that corporate synergy, baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Noah, speaking of Star Wars video games, we do have an update on Knights of the Old Republic, the remake, which has been confirmed to be moved to Saber Interactive. Uh, this is coming to us from Bloomberg, who has officially confirmed the story that Saber Interactive, owned by Asper Media's parent company, Embracer Group, uh, will be the ones taking over development on the remake of the 2003 RPG from BioWare. I knew I just threw a lot of corporations, a lot of names yeah. at you guys. Um, but trust me, this does make sense. Uh, the group was already working on the remake to assist their sister company. Uh, and now it does appear that they are fully making the transition to take over this project. Uh, Saber Interactive, if you're much of a gamer, um, they do have a degree of experience working on bigger kind of uh, IP titles such as World War Z as well as Evil Dead the game. Uh, so now a few episodes ago you and I talked about Knights of the Old Republic how you know the the engines had stopped on the boat uh, they were kind of stuck and, and you know motionless we didn't really know kind of what the future of this game would be uh, but now it seems like those wheels are turning once again here. Uh, so I know you and I and as far as our video game knowledge is a little limited uh, does this give you more confidence less confidence confidence or are you just kind of like hey I'm, I'm glad the game's coming out <laughs> well i i am glad that the game is coming out i think that this strikes me as you know if you were to read this as a headline and not really get further into it you'd probably be like oh wow looks like you know this one you know development company couldn't handle it so they threw it onto somebody else that could mm-hmm. that's not you know that's not what's going on here which is very reassuring to hear it's more that even with it being stalled indefinitely is probably just to figure out how best to move forward. Um, and the, the fact that we're moving forward at all is a great sign because that tells me that the, you know, the parent company of Asper media and of Sabre uh, is saying, yeah, like we we're going to move forward with this somehow. It's just a matter of how we're going to go about doing this. Yeah. The fact that we've gotten such a quick turnaround in news in terms of, sorry guys it's delayed indefinitely we need to figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. to a mere few weeks to say okay great production's back up and running we're you know this other company is going to be you know taking full control and moving straight ahead with this and blah 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 that's like a, a relatively quick turnaround to be able to say yeah it sounds like it sounds like that this remake is getting the attention it deserves and they were trying to figure out how best 
to maintain that attention and that progress. Um, that was something we talked a lot about was kind of the speculation was that not enough progress was being made. Yes. Um, so it sounds like moving forward, we're getting progress and, uh, you know, for the people that care about it, that's great. That should be great news. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be concerned at all. Not to say that I don't care about it, but again, I'm just glad I'm glad for you. If you, if you're, if you're glad, then I'm glad. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And the, the report that we're talking about was made in late July, um, also from Bloomberg, but it was a report that art director Jason Miner and design director Brad Prince uh, were fired uh, in early July. So things had kind of paused and now there seems to be different like corporate mergers, lots of red tape being involved where this project is being passed to this company who is now being you know, absolved by this company. There seems to be a lot of kind of uh, uh, balls being juggled here, um, as it were. So it makes sense that they kind of were just, uh, are you laughing at balls being juggled now? I, I'm just every, I've been refraining from saying it every time. This is episode 69, and I just have to get it out that we've made so many innuendos and not addressed them. And that was see, that I really was the, the that one that was I was on my mind, me. the one that was on my mind where I said like the behind the back shot of Obi Wan Kenobi, yes, and I, I was like, I was really and... trying to avoid saying <laughs> an Obi Wan Kenobi back shot because um, that's just the yeah. It's episode 69, baby. We'll say anything. (laughs) (laughs) You never know what's going to happen here at the Scum and Villainy podcast. That's right. Oh, my God. Uh, Anyway. Um, uh, (laughs) Yeah, balls are being juggled here. They've just been absolutely gargled uh, (laughs) on this. Good Christ almighty. Anyway, a lot of corporate uh, kind of talk happening here. I know we're throwing a lot of different companies and titles and names at you guys, but it does seem that... You know, the train is back on schedule. Things are coming out. When the hell we're getting this game? Still super unclear. Nobody really knows. Um, I'm just kind of glad that like the light is on and somebody is home now and that they're working on this thing. Uh, yes. And it'll come out when it's good and gosh darn ready. Uh, you and I have already talked about before of kind of our emotional attachment to the project. So I don't really feel like that we need to uh, belabor that again. But uh, hey, you know what? Good on you, Saber Interactive. Uh, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a big gamer. Um, I, I am a, a slower gamer than I am a reader, if you can believe it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that, the, you know, this company that seems to be uh, at least mildly admired. Um, I don't really I'm aware of the Evil Dead game, which I think people like. But other than that, I don't know. Do people like the World War Z game? Is that do people I, like that? I actually do remember. uh friend of the show and mutual friend of ours uh bailey hunt uh, had the world wars <laughs> had the world war z game for xbox game pass and i remember playing a little bit of it and it's wild it's not like your typical days gone uh you know left for dead zombie game it's gotcha. it's very different um but i do know that the people that like it yeah they like it a lot and the same goes for evil dead um i've heard that it's pretty wild uh, and then if you're committed to that kind of thing, then you'll definitely like it. So um, even in knowing this, like the, the, those two titles, I'm like, honestly, OK, yeah, those are, you know, accomplished games. They're not things that I would necessarily play. But that doesn't mean that, you know, that this is going to turn out like, you know, one of those things. It's yeah. just a 
you know, it's just the same company. So yeah, yeah accomplished, accomplished at least. My, my thing is more is it's the funny thing is like, as somebody who doesn't really know a lot about these companies, I'm more of just like, okay, they seem to be talented. They're, they're cranking out products that people at least enjoy. Uh, I'm not saying any of these are game of the year contenders. However, the story has been told. It's more of kind of a revamping of things. We don't really know how in-depth this remake is. Uh, is it a nice buffer, a nice polish on what already exists, or is it a complete reimagining of this game? We don't really know. My thing is more of like, you could have the most talented video game the you know company in the world, the most well-regarded video game company in the world, if you don't give them enough time, it's not going to be very good. You know, um, I, that's more of my thing is like, just please, whatever company it is, just give them enough time to make a product that they are proud of, that is quality and that people can enjoy, especially those who love this game and who love this story, because I know it means so much to people. I'd hate for this game to come out and they're like, oh, OK, well, there's my childhood just completely butchered, just completely massacred. So no, we've seen that a lot recently, too, of games that just get rushed to bits. Yeah. And it's you know, that's the thing that causes them to completely fall apart. You know, exactly. So. Yeah. So um, I hope that they are giving this game the attention that they they, you know, that they deserve. Uh, and based on like some of the games they've got coming out, it's like, yeah, they're working on stuff. But for the most part, this seems to be kind of one of, if not their primary objective. So I hope that they have the, you know, the best people on their team uh, who are really focused on delivering a great content or uh, delivering a great game and great content that um, fans of this game will uh, be proud of. Yeah, that's. I think that's all we can hope for as passive Knights of the Old Republic fans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the steak that you and I have in this is 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 pretty small. You know, it's like a six ounce steak, if you will. It's um, a medallion, barely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Noah. You and I have talked about uh, a lot of different things today, a lot of different, um, we've even touched on some lightsaber stuff here, which is uh, kind of a nice uh, tee up to, uh, to the conversation that we were having today. But the reason that I wanted to have this, Noah, is because you had an interesting kind of development in your own personal life. You had mentioned it a few episodes ago and uh, kind of teasing us on what was to come. But you and I are talking lightsabers today. Why exactly yeah, we are. are we talking about lightsabers? Because, Garrett... It's here. It finally arrived. And when I say finally, I mean shipping was actually very quick. Uh, <laughs> I placed my order. Three days later, it got shipped out. Three days later, it was here. Hell yeah. Um, which is incredible. Uh, I have been playing with my lightsaber uh, every day since Thursday. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> your, your eyes going to get crossed like that. <laughs> it's I episode 69. <laughs> We're wild over here. Uh, I've been playing with this lightsaber every day since I got it last Thursday. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've only, I've, I've had it less than a week. Um, when you say, every day, when you say playing with, like, what can I, is it just you sitting on the, the on the couch and like igniting it and dis you know, and disengaging it? Or are so, you like, are okay. you doing the, are you looking up TikTok tutorials of like how to spin it I'm and like, shit? Like, where are you I, at? I, I actually, I, I do know of like a few tutorials where it's like, oh, you can do these cool spin tricks. I'll get there. But as far as right now, like I'm kind of just exploring like the color wheel and the sound fonts that it has. Um, over the weekend, uh, I was able to visit with family uh, for my brother's birthday. He's 25. That's so weird to say. Um, I was able to visit with family and I was also able to see some longtime friends that I have not seen in a while. 
And so I brought the lightsaber to like every family function. Like my <laughs> like grandparents. Like it was like the new baby, you yeah. know? <laughs> my grandparents got to see it because I, I went to see my grandparents uh, the day that I got it and I hadn't been able to open it yet. And I was like, excuse me, guys, I'm going to go uh, to the other room. And I like went and opened the lightsaber and like was, you know, turning it on for the first time, which I don't care, you know, what their opinion of it is. They're they old. Just, they they just you know, hear you in the bedroom and just being like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but so I was able to show a bunch of people. I was just like, do you want to, do you want to see it? Do you want to see how cool this is? Um, and let other people, you know, yeah. swing it around and, and do all the sounds and the lights and everything. Hell yeah. Um, but I think it has gotten to the point where I'm just like, I'll take, I've, I've got it like hook, like hooked onto the wall. There's like two hooks to where I can like place it on the wall, like nice and mounted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just every day I've taken it down and spun it around a little bit, you know, practice some things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's the most incredible feeling ever. I like, know. Yeah. Legitimately. And I know like that was the whole thing was I was like, Hmm, Garrett got a lightsaber. I'm so freaking jealous. You know what? I'll show him. I'll get my own and then we'll both be able to enjoy our, our lives together. You're just full on, you know, Kylo Ren. That lightsaber, it belongs, it to, belongs me. to me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's been super, super fun. Um, and yeah, I'm just very, I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. You and I had um, talked about when we did our Galaxy's Edge or, you know, our, our co-opting of the Galaxy's Edge review, you were just kind of asking about my experience. And for those of you that didn't get a chance to listen, uh, I also uh, had the opportunity to make my own lightsaber. Um, and you had talked about you were, you know, even then were interested in maybe not making one at Galaxy's Edge, but going to, through a different avenue and going through, I think it was, was it Saber Forge? That was the, the company? So, that, that was one that I was looking at because they have excellent reviews um i ended up going with uh imperial workshop because they're u.s based uh and they are they're pretty ethical when it comes to their shipping policies and and how they run their business cannot shout them out enough um give them a follow on twitter i guess if you're into that kind of stuff awesome um yeah no they're they're great and that was kind of the thing was when we talked about disney um I, I was kind of able to decide that building the lightsaber is separate is a separate experience totally. um, from 100%, having a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So, and that was what kind of gave me a little bit of peace was I was thinking like, no, I shouldn't own one until I can, until I get the chance to build my own. Um, but knowing that, you know, this is a, you know, a, a kind of collecting slash hobby journey that I could continue to go on for sure. That fits into a very, very specific part of it. So I was able to kind of rationalize and now I don't have any <laughs> buyer's remorse. Rationalize you buying a very expensive toy. <laughs> well, here's the thing again, this company, they've got, they've got, you know, kind of a great price because they're us based. Yeah. I paid with shipping uh, $180 hey, for bad. my NeoPixel lightsaber. Cheaper than one um, at Disney. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, separate experiences when I, when I do get to attend, you know, Disneyland or Disney world, mm-hmm. I will be making my own and that's going to be a separate part of it. So yeah, oh, yeah. that was kind of how this, this all came about and now we're yeah. here and now we're here and you and I were kind of talking beforehand, um, of just kind of, kind of, you know, okay, what's going on maybe in our own lives and the fan culture and the, you know, and the, in the news and everything. And since you had gotten your lightsaber, I thought it was a perfect time to, uh, discuss, you know, the, the meaning, the deeper meaning, uh, also just kind of the basic human, uh, goopy brain appeal of a lightsaber, why we love these things so much. Um, so I thought in order to start our conversation, we kind of just have to start 
at the beginning uh, and it, where the world was introduced to the lightsabers, which was, of course, uh, 1977 with A New Hope. Uh, we, of course, have that very famous and well-known and beloved scene with uh, Luke Owen or uh, Luke uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, 3PO and R2 uh, in Obi-Wan's hut where Luke is is gifted the, the his father's lightsaber. Um, and it is described as an elegant weapon from a more civilized age. And that was kind of when our own imaginations were sparked um we don't really get to see that particular weapon used uh in combat until empire strikes back but in a new hope of course uh obi-wan kenobi and vader um have their their battle their duel so in that movie we are introduced to three lightsabers um after that the next time we see a new lightsaber um is in return of the jedi when luke constructs his new lightsaber um, and now I kind of wanted to start off with, you know, why George Lucas, you know, used this weapon in particular and what his influences were. So I'm sure that you're aware, but, you know, Lucas was not just a fan of Akira Kurosawa and these old samurai films, but also things like Errol Flynn, you know, and these old Robin Hood sort of adventure films here. So he chose to use that influence of the Errol Flynn sort of sword fighting combat here and use that for the heroes that we see here what do you think is kind of the narrative power of having these characters utilize a sword similar to a jedi the, the you know the word that jedi comes from jedi geki being uh this the samurai what do you think is the power of that rather than um kind of a blaster keeping in mind the the original trilogy specifically why do you think george chose to use a sword well this is one of those things that has you know, the idea of this is continued further. Um, I think that it's easily traced back to the idea of, you know, I mean, like Obi-Wan says, an elegant weapon for more civilized age kind of denotes the nobility attached mm -hmm. to it. And I always find it so interesting that in the Ralph McQuarrie concept art that you could have this world where you've got space stuff and, you know, and spaceships and all these, you know, different robots and, you know, stormtroopers, whatever, you know, yeah. all of these things that come together to build this world. And when you're talking about weapons, right, if you want to say that there's an army, we need to give them weapons, um, then you're thinking futuristic, right? Um, and knowing that, I mean, this is not, you know, this is kind of common knowledge when it comes to the behind the scenes stuff mm -hmm. of... Ralph McQuarrie and George Lucas toying around with the idea that every uh, stormtrooper had a lightsaber um, or a laser sword. Yeah. And that idea, I mean, imagine the world that we would live in. Imagine the world that Star Wars would be where lightsabers weren't something that denoted uh, something very specific, something noble, something, you know, a, a level above something like a blaster. That'd uh -huh. um, be a crazy, crazy world. I can't, I literally can't even imagine it um, because it's so distinct that says, no, this weapon is specific to its user, right? It's not your factory off the line. Oh, you need to fight. Here's your weapon. It's a, it's yeah. a laser sword. Um, it, it, you know, having it be specific to the user makes a big difference. And I think that introduction is kind of doubled down on and saying, this was your father's weapon. You know, this isn't just like, oh, here's a weapon. It's a laser sword. The first lightsaber that we're introduced to is this is your, this was your father's 
weapon. Mm -hmm. He was a cunning warrior and, you know, this, this, and that, saying that these weapons are specific to the ability to wield them, which I think is huge. And that, you know, obviously carries through all the way to the original trilogy and what the idea of being a Jedi means. Um, I always find it fascinating that the quote-unquote lore of the Jedi and the Sith aren't completely nailed down, um, you know, all the way through the original trilogy. Um, obviously, there's hints and things when Darth Vader is uh, is talking to Piet and Tarkin, and there's kind of that conversation about the old religion and that sort of thing, um, you know, denoting to the quote-unquote lore of everything we've got going on that would say that these weapons specifically are attached to an older way of combat, an older way of life, and that the modern world has moved away from that sort of thing. Uh Um, So that idea there is, uh, is at least nailed down. And it's interesting to think of, you know, the original Star Wars as not having everything totally set in stone, but knowing that by the time we get to Return of the Jedi, that you have Luke saying, no, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And the weapon is what's important in that conversation, throwing away his weapon and saying, no, I'm a Jedi. Um, Instead of fighting, again, there's that nobility. But at the same time, those weapons are specific to their users that that devote themselves to this way of life. It's a very, very kind of like mysterious perspective that we get in the original trilogy. And it sets up a very, very special way of looking at lightsabers that, you know, does change as we get farther into it. But that's kind of my perception of where things kick off. I think it's, I think the mysteriousness or mystery is, is something that George Lucas maybe did on purpose. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just not, super, you know, explained completely, but it really led to what we have today of lightsabers are the coolest thing, but they're not the most ubiquitous thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. I think in the original trilogy specifically, the lightsabers and how they are portrayed is really interesting, is really fascinating, but it's also like, it's pretty brilliant narratively to have this weapon that is so personal, is so head to head. It is not kind of, uh, as, as Obi-Wan describes it, clumsy or random. It is precise and, and, and direct that you would end your movie. Uh, a new hope isn't, this isn't the end, but you know, for most star Wars movies, uh, more oftentimes than not the pretty much the ending of the movie, the climax of the movie is a duel of some sort. Like that's kind of how star Wars works. Not all of them, but most of them. I think that that is is pretty brilliant to have that. Of course, you're going to have combat in your Star War, but the fact that you have this direct conflict between your hero and between between the villain who come together and kind of have to duke it out. It's not, you know, hiding behind cover and shooting and taking cover again like we see, you know, a lot of times in Star Wars, but it's set apart. It's different. Um, I think that that's uh, narratively pretty brilliant to have this very... Um, exciting finale, but it truly is 
like true space fantasy to have this weapon just be uh, this blade of light, which, you know, anybody wants to talk about science and Star Wars, look no further than uh, lightsabers do be completely preposterous and that anybody even pretends to care about science and Star Wars, like actual real world physics and the way uh, uh, light actually works is is insane to me. This The lightsabers are, you know, a key example of like how ridiculous it is and how silly it is to, to argue about you know why Star Wars has to apply to science here um, but I think in the original trilogy to have this personal sort of standoff between our hero and between the villain using a weapon that is theirs or was inherited uh, from others really does make the battle even further personal um also the significance of color to the lightsabers not something that i look towards uh very deeply as far as like what certain colors mean certain things but i think it's interesting that uh, for the most part all of the light side lightsabers have very uh, uh, varying degrees of color lots of different colors available based on your own personality and what kind of the the draws you to that specific kyber crystal we see that explored a lot in the clone wars but uh, versus the dark side which is just mostly red you know of course you have uh, uh certain dark side users or evil doers uh general grievous in particular who although those aren't his weapons he's still using uh, a, a lightsaber to cause pain and hurt and to you know to inflict his his uh, power upon others rather than using it for knowledge and defense like we see with the jedi for the most part it's all red you know like it's it's all this this kind of uniform uh you're not able to show individuality you just kind of have to sort of fall in line and and uh, uh be with the pact here which is uh, very on brand with the empire so I think in the original trilogy, especially, you have this very Arthurian um, mystical story being told here, but also just narratively a very practical one of this is how you are kind of igniting this finale in your in your movie. Um, I think it's 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 very interesting to see how the effects of lightsabers have changed and how in the original trilogy, specifically with A New Hope, the X-Wings were kind of more of the spectacle, you know, to see all of the space um, battle kind of stuff. But as this, as we now transition our conversation into the prequel trilogy, the lightsabers really kind of were the drawing factor. So you and I are prequel kids, you know, um, we were born uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and we grew up with the, the prequel movie. Movies, kind of what was your perspective of lightsabers growing up as a Star Wars fan? And do you think that the prequel trilogy has impacted that? And if so, why? Well, of course it has. I think that's the one thing. And we even talked about it before where uh, I think it was, you know, it was last week when we were talking about video games. And one of my first Star Wars video games was the Star Wars lightsaber battles video game. I don't that's that's what it was called. Um, and it was one of it was one of the things that you know, and th I, I say this, you know, being as, uh, as censored as I can, uh, there exists a video of myself somewhere on the internet. I've seen it. Um, I've, ladies and of, gentlemen, I have seen it. <laughs> yes, he has, uh, of my brother and I playing as Luke and Darth Vader, mm -hmm. um, with our toy lightsabers. It's funny to me that, you know, the prequels, were the ones that really capitalized on this 
and you too can be a fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but you know, my brother and I always wanted to play as Luke and Darth Vader, um, where it was, you know, the, the characters and the emotion from, from the original trilogy, but injecting the difference in style from the prequels of, you know, of course the coolest thing that you can do is learn how to fight with a sword. That's just the coolest thing you can do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you were completely separate from star Wars, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be, you know, picking up a stick and swinging it around. So, you know, that's what kids do. Mm -hmm. And that taps into such a weird primal kind of, uh, of version of play and excitement of like, you know, what if I was, what if I was a warrior, right? It's just kind of a, it's a, a traditional boy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars in the prequels, especially capitalized on that to show that there was even more something special about being a Jedi, that there was this, this sense of, you know, kind of rising to another level of, of competency and capability and, that side of, you know, being a warrior was maybe a little bit overdone in the prequels. Obviously, that is kind of the thematic side of that is that what we see is less for knowledge and defense um, and turns into more for dueling, um, you know, but that's that's kind of the thematic side of the prequels. But what that does is it strikes a chord with the kids that want to play in this world, that's going to be the natural entry. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we talk about the different sides of Star Wars and how it appeals to everybody differently. But like we always say, the one thing that can't be ignored is the power of cool. And when the prequels came out and, you know, you're introduced to Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi lighting up their lightsabers and totally handling a battalion of battle droids, it hits that cool side just full, you know, full force. Mm -hmm. And then again, you know, towards the end of the film with Darth Maul, when you intentionally as a filmmaker put something into your, into your movie that says, Hey, pay attention to this. We spent a lot of time working on this and a lot was, a lot of energy was devoted to this, like a fight between Darth Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi that says, Hey, pay attention to me. And it, it, you know, got the attention of the right crowd. That's, you know, that's kind of the, and that hasn't changed at all. Now, you know, when we get into kind of where the sequel trilogy is at with those things, I don't think that things are nearly the same as they were in the prequels, but you look at what appeals to the generations that are growing up and being introduced to Star Wars, toy lightsabers, not even the one that I bought, but toy lightsabers are far from dead. You know, that's just something that will always be around because it's going to be kind of the, how do we take star Wars and pull it, you know, pull it into our own lives or how do I put my own life into star Wars? Like we talked about not too long ago. So that's something that the prequels did that kind of changed the landscape of connecting with star Wars kind of without, you know, the emotional side of it, but more, what's cool about this thing mm-hmm. and how do we bring it into the real world? Right. Yeah. Cause I think at this time it's worth noting that <clears throat> although, you know, star Wars 
probably isn't the first time that we've seen like an energy weapon that is a sword. I don't know the history of that, but I can de definitely tell you it's not the first time that we saw a laser gun. You know, even the, the things that directly inspired George Lucas being Flash Gordon or something like that, there were already ray guns and stuff like that. So I think it's interesting that at the time of the prequels, like Star Wars pretty much had its stake in the ground of, no, we're the brand that has the cool laser swords. So I, you're talking about the lightsabers being so popular. I just think of like, well, yeah, if you go to Galaxy's Edge or something like that, not not even to the expensive ones, you can like get really cheap plasticky ones that, but it's mostly lightsabers. Yeah, you can buy blasters and other things, but you know, Star Trek's got blasters. Um, Marvel movies have blasters and some sort of energy ray based gun or something like that. But Star Wars has got the lightsaber and you're not going to really find that in any other movies. So in the prequel trilogy... These finales that I was talking about that are in the original trilogy are really, truly showcased as being kind of the 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 duels specifically being the way that we are ending these movies and being this true uh, spectacle. However, Phantom Menace within the first few scenes of the movie, lightsabers are being ignited because it's a little bit more cavalier not that george lucas is being careless with lightsabers but based purely in the era in which these movies take place there's more jedi there's more lightsabers you know i think that that was something that was really a bit of growing pains for an older generation towards the the lightsabers in the original trilogy were used much more sparingly and then you look towards you know uh the battle of geonosis and the coliseum you know an attack of the clones and you've got dozens of lightsabers that's something that you, when we were kids blew our minds we were so excited to see that but for a lot of older fans it was kind of like okay it's a little too much you know it's a little overkill um but for us you know darth maul having a double-bladed lightsaber although there are definitely older prequel fans that that was so exciting for them for me you know i just always knew that to be there like that wasn't there was never a moment where i saw that and was like oh my god you can do both ends you know like that's that's crazy you know it's just something that was just there because you know i was a few months old when phantom menace came out so darth maul having a double-bladed lightsaber was just always you know sort of spectacular but because of the era of the prequels of having the jedi maybe not at the height of their powers but definitely in this state where they're uh, more efficient with their lightsabers they're more highly trained they're skilled they're also going up against other um, giant armies but even you know other lightsaber users so they have to be uh, more trained with something like that whereas in the original trilogy Luke trains and he just fights Vader for the most part obviously there in the comics and other things there are other you know, certain stormtrooper battalions that have lightsabers and stuff like that. I know I've, I've read it too. <laughs> I mean, more in the prequel <laughs> trilogy, you've got Maul and Grievous and Dooku and Sidious and, you know, a bunch of other people who have lightsabers. So they have to be better skilled. That's why we see the speed and the ferocity um, of, of all of that. And I think that that's something that your uh, our generation really appreciated or loved or kind of what we defined these lightsabers as being is it needs to be fast it needs to be energetic and using that kind of george lucas you know that george lucasism of faster more intense you know of of are kind of a benchmark of what these lightsaber um battles need to be but i also think just as far as like the deeper kind of ideas going here 
if the story of the the prequel trilogy is showing how these powers can crumble uh, and these powers that be in these these organizations of the Jedi Order, how they can crumble and, and be, you know, usurped from an outside force from a phantom menace. I think it is interesting that Lucas chose specifically to have these lightsabers be ignited so much more as a means of victory, whereas Return of the Jedi what was Luke's victory? Disigniting the lightsaber uh, and, and casting it aside to where them igniting their lightsabers in the prequel trilogy and deciding to be warriors, to be generals, you know, what we learned from Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. War makes not one great. We now, even as fans, can kind of prescribe this idea to the Jedi and they kind of fell into this trap of, well, in order to preserve light and peace and justice in the galaxy, we need to take up our lightsabers and we need to command this army and battle against darkness, which is almost, you know, a separate conversation in regards to the downfall of the Jedi at the time. But I think it's really interesting that because the Jedi used their weapons and, and you know, the spectacle of, of everything was so much more grand in the prequel trilogy, that is, in a sense, is kind of what leads immediately to uh, to their downfall in a way. Yeah, that's something that, you know, you don't really think about. Um until you kind of count the times that it happens. But when you look at the prequel trilogy, think about, you know, when and how often uh, Jedi use their lightsabers. Um, and what's the context here? Obviously, you know, th you can kind of pick out the moments uh, in, in the three films. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, when, when we get to, you know, just the opening scenes of phantom menace like you'd said you know we're already guns blazing and by guns blazing i mean lightsabers blazing <laughs> um at the slightest hint of danger right um yeah whereas something like return of the jedi or empire strikes back it's a one-on-one -on -one thing like you said you know lucas training to fight one enemy who also has the same weapon yeah and you defend yourself you know kind of then and there it's very you know it makes me makes me think a lot of you know like you said, Arthurian kind of style stories, something like the green Knight, which mm -hmm. is that, that idea of, you know, the one, you know, the one hero fighting the one opponent and how that plays out and how you have to be trained, you know, properly and evenly matched. And that's how you want to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. Whereas something in the prequel trilogy that I think is interesting is, um, I, you know, the, I think the most extreme example of this, I wouldn't say that, you know, the, the Genosis arena is like the most extreme example because obviously there's danger, but you, you make it all the way to revenge of the Sith, which is obviously kind of where things, you know, really start to fall apart. Um, and you get to, uh, Mace Windu and Kit Fisto and that other guy, uh, <laughs> confronting, or I think there's yeah. two other guys, two other there guys, are two other guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, confronting Palpatine, and arresting him and they ignite their lightsabers and yeah. i mean there's a lot that could be said about how you would perceive that in maybe the world today yeah uh, and what you know maybe what ramifications that might have mm -hmm. towards something like i don't know i just finished season three of the boys i'll you know if you've seen it take take what you will from that uh yeah. about kind of that misuse of power yeah. and uh, you get a very different picture of of what things meant. And I think that it's funny 
that people like you and I walked away from the prequel movies, you know, being like, I want to go to the store right now and buy a lightsaber and I want to, you know, I want to jump around and I want to smack things off the shelf and I want to do whatever. And looking at it now is, you know, there's a much bigger picture um, that kind of shows the, the folly of this idea um, that obviously, you know, you can look at it and say, wow, that's, that's pretty overused, but there's, there's a reason. Um, It's, it's not without a cause. Um, And the consequences are there. George Lucas is, you know, was fully aware of that in creating the prequels and how the Jedi kind of appear. So uh, it's something interesting. If you're, you know, if you're going to watch the prequels again soon, just think about it because it's an interesting perspective to kind of look at how lightsabers are used there. Yeah, I think a direct way of, of watching it beyond just like, oh, cool, lights, you know, because it can, like, Star Wars and lightsabers, it's so, it, you know, we're doing like a, a whole conversation of it. You, you had mentioned it. It's like the the power of cool is so real in Star Wars and lightsabers are just super cool. We probably should have started with that up top. It's like, <laughs> they're sick. They're dope. Like, they're super yeah. fun. Why well, do uh, you think I bought one? Exactly. <laughs> you know, ex- exactly. You spent like $200 to have a big glowy stick, you know, and yeah. who hasn't picked up a, a poster tube or literally any cylindrical object and gone, you know, it's just, it's right. just what you do. It's what you do. Um, I did, I think, uh, to go back to my point, if you are one to watch these movies and in just kind of a first step to analyzing these these battles uh and these lightsaber battles beyond just oh you know kid festo is using form whatever against so you know i'm talking about like narratively kind of what's going on here look at who ignites their saber and why why do you think that uh in in star wars rebels yes obi-wan kenobi ignites his lightsaber first and yes mace windu and his little gang light their sabers first but what's the difference between those two moments you know what is their intention in igniting those sabers you have mace windu and his cronies who are looking to uh ignite this battle to take this person down i wouldn't argue that that's knowledge and defense Personally, exactly. Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Rebels, when Maul says, you know, you're protecting something, no someone, you know, and and Kenobi does ignite his lightsaber first. So you have two incidents in which a Jedi, a light side user ignites their saber first. But why does Obi-Wan do it in Rebels uh, specifically? It's knowledge and defense. He's protecting the light, which is Luke Skywalker, because he knows what Maul is capable of, uh, because Maul's, you know, proven to, <laughs> to do that from time to time. Um, and I, it makes me think of also in, in Phantom Menace. I, my knowledge serves me correctly. Maul does ignite his saber first, which is then followed by um, Qui-Gon yes. and, and Obi-Wan, which, again, knowledge and defense. Um, I think personally that really is kind of the... The, the 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 first step into you know one of the many ways that you could start analyzing uh these you know these battles that igni- uh, that start here look at empire strikes back too you know when you have luke and versus uh vader and bespin luke ignites his saber first and look what ends up happening to him he doesn't have this necessarily a moral victory there uh and it is you know vader's not necessarily knowledge and defense in that moment but it shows more accurately what i think luke is there to do 
you know, uh, and that I guess is, is a bigger conversation. We could kind of go battle by battle, which would definitely be interesting. Um, I also wanted to shout out if you guys do want to go battle by battle Four center is doing like a super extensive, uh, study on lightsabers. Now I think they're up at like eight episodes of going literally lightsaber battle in each movie and discussing wow. what's at stakes for these characters. What do these moments mean in certain beats and talking about the, the location, what, you know, all the, the, these different things that identify these battles. I've really enjoyed listening. And if you guys, uh, if that sounds up your, up your alley, then I think you guys would too. But I think it is really worth mentioning that, you know, if you do want to start analyzing uh, star Wars on a deeper level, you just kind of ask yourself, kind of the basic questions that character does that okay why you know why does why does maul ignite his saber first why do kenobi and you know and obi-wan what 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 would the story be if they ignited theirs first and then maul ignited his in response to that i think that all of that is really interesting especially from the sense of what is this moral victory for luke in return of the jedi versus empire strikes back he's not igniting his saber and i'm attacking you and i'm going to kill you even if you just want to look at return of the jedi you know Luke is hidden in the shadows, reflecting, kind of uh, hiding from Vader in a sense. Vader strikes a, a, a kind of a chord, emotional chord with him and threatening to go after Leia. Luke ignites his saber and goes to attack, eventually kind of tips his toe into the dark side there. But his victory is casting that lightsaber aside. And then, you know, as he gets older... What does he do against Kylo? You know, it, it is an interesting discussion here of igniting that saber. Is that a moral victory for these characters or is it kind of maybe not a defeat, but almost kind of like uh, a, a tragedy in the sense that this has, you know, led these characters to this moment? It's funny that Star Wars can do that, that it's like. Yeah, so cool, but also like, damn, you know, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. has to happen. We've we've even led to this decision here. Yeah, and that's you know, like you mentioned, kind of Luke and where he ends up. Um, yeah, there's a much different picture when it comes to the sequel trilogy of how, yeah, which is definitely where, yeah. And you can go ahead and talk about that. Cause that kind of brings us to our next kind of chapter of this. Cause I, I think, and I'll let you continue that the sequel trilogy really just treats lightsabers very differently. Yes. It's something that is almost, it's not impossible, but it's difficult to analyze because what we see is, uh, you know, the most used lightsaber is far and away Kylo Ren's. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you kind of get an idea of his, presence his energy by how he wields his lightsaber and his lightsaber in general that's kind of the whole point um is that it's unstable it's you know really you know intimidating and threatening um and he uses it for destruction you know more than just to be intimidating someone like vader mm -hmm. can whip it out and it's like oh boy things are about to get serious yeah um kylo ren is like i'm throwing a tantrum uh I'm going to pull out my laser sword, you know? Yeah. Um, so Kylo Ren being the one who uses a lightsaber most in the sequel trilogy. Yes. You get a good picture of it when it comes to something like the force awakens. Very, very, very curious in terms of our heroes. My, one of my favorite bits is when, uh, when the first order is attacking Takadana and Finn says, I need a weapon. And Maz says, you have one. Yeah. And he like, doesn't, it doesn't click. He doesn't really connect with him. And then beyond that, when he ignites his, when he ignites the lightsaber um, and is, you know, on Takadana with the first order, he doesn't really use it offensively. And I'm not saying that he gets, you know, he doesn't get his butt handed to him 
by you know the the baton stormtrooper but he's very defensive with it um it's a weapon that we see finn and ray use in the force awakens and kind of both scenarios they are very very defensive they're not offensive with it i would say that finn you know kind of goes on the offensive when ray is in danger and again that mode of protecting but even still during the battle on star killer base both finn and ray are protecting themselves first yeah. and foremost um and it shows kind of the you know it, it not not to say that it shows the true nature of how a lightsaber a lightsaber should be used but more in the sense of what we're seeing is two people that are not completely skilled in combat, not, you know, much less with a lightsaber. It's a very different form of combat. Um, and, you know, I've gotten into arguments with people about this, but I love the way that Kylo Ren wields his lightsaber because every move that he makes feels really heavy. It feels weighted. It feels, you know, really menacing. And then you have, you know, everybody else on the other side, when you have Ray and Finn that are kind of fighting for their lives and they're defending themselves. It's a stark contrast between what we see in the prequels of the, you know, the ability and the skill and even in the original trilogy with kind of the dignity and the nobility. Um, it's, it's a really interesting kind of double play because obviously that does change as we, you know, as we get further into the sequel trilogy, but I would say kind of overall it's, it's an air of, you know, of protection more than anything until someone else is in danger. I think it's kind of the, the key thing when it comes to at least to our heroes. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I see the sequel trilogy when it comes to lightsabers. Yeah. And I think for the first time it was, it was definitely explored in clone wars, but the first time as a fan that I really became kind of connected to the idea that Yes, Obi-Wan says this weapon is your life, but to the degree in which force wielders connect to their kyber crystals and how that influences their ability to wield this weapon. And I remember Kylo being like a key contributing factor to that of he's got this cross guard lightsaber, but why is it? Cause it looks cool. You know, that is an answer for a lot of star Wars stuff. Why does Maul have a double bladed lightsaber? Cause it's dope. Like that's why, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, which is like a totally reasonable answer and, and is the answer for a lot of star Wars stuff, but like a lot of star Wars stuff, um, um, yes, things look really cool, but there's also a narrative reason why that's happening. I'm sure a lot of you know, but if if you don't, like the reason is Kylo, in an effort to bleed his crystal, much like his grandfather did, his emotions and his conviction was too conflicted, which cracked the crystal, thus causing it to be uh, unstable. Which kind of had to he had to have these exhaust ports essentially on his lightsaber to kind of uh, otherwise the this lightsaber couldn't handle. Um, the the uh, instability of of his kyber crystal and I think that that was kind of the first time that I had really seen that a lightsaber and the, the weapon that a character wields really be connected to what their character's going through emotionally yeah you do have and I know there's a lot of literature on that of 
okay, yeah, if you have a yellow crystal, this means this. If you have a green crystal, this means this, all that kind of stuff. But for me, this is at least the most obvious one, you know, uh, or the most overt. This character is emotionally unstable. So his weapon is going to be unstable, you know, like that's, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty on the nose, but in a way that really does, that really does work for me. And in Force Awakens in particular, yeah, that, that sequence that we have with Finn, he uses his his lightsaber as a weapon, and he does go at that that trooper there. Uh, but it, one, he doesn't win the battle. In fact, he gets beaten, and it's Han that has to come in and rescue him. But his his later battle with with Kylo, although he does go in there with defense uh, and, and has, his heart is in the right place of wanting to protect Rey, um, you know, he's, he's going up against somebody that has been more trained, has used a lightsaber. I doubt Finn literally ever has before, you know, this movie uh, versus Ray, who also probably no does not have a lot of experience with a lightsaber, but does have that experience with her staff. We see her be very proficient with that in the movie. But I think that that was something that, you know, that was one of uh, another early kind of uh, indication of the connection with with the force in regards to how that impacts your uh, your ability to wield a lightsaber is no man it's it's not the this crude matter that we see yoda talking about in empire strikes back it is your connection with the thing that powers your lightsaber your connection with the force influences how proficient you are with this weapon yeah kylo's been shot yeah kylo is not you know uh physically in the best spot right there which probably does lead to ray not you know necessarily having an outright victory she definitely gets a good lick in across his face um but you know in, in that very fight there it's about your for it's about the your your connection with the force and that's going to influence um over how much training that you have or how developed your skill tree is it really is about your connection with the weapon that you wield um and you were talking about your kind of defense of the physicality of kylo ren one of my favorite things of the character i might add i love adam driver's physicality of that and oh, yeah. uh, it's very well um publicized but kylo or uh excuse me adam driver was so protective of kylo and his physicality that he really wanted to be to be the one that was in those scenes under the mask because he felt like his physicality um directly related to his character and that is you know continues to prove why i think adam driver gives one of the best performances in in all of star wars he's he's just so great that um you know even the physicality of how he fights is like very important to him but you know but that leads uh go ahead go ahead no i was just gonna say you know kind of the it's it's interesting you know looking at the character of kylo ren and part of that and there's there's a lot to be said about it i think there's you know a, a big conversation but the connection between kylo and his lightsaber but not only that but lightsabers and other characters he, you know, Kylo Ren saying that Anakin's or the Skywalker lightsaber belongs to him, that yeah. it's his birthright to have this saber. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because, you know, if we were, if we were, you know, kids thinking about lightsabers as toys and things like that, um, you know, if I had my own lightsaber, I wouldn't be like, oh, that one, I deserve that one also. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I've got my own. There's way more to it there um, that, you know, that comes with the the weapon it's it's more than just the weapon it's you know kind of the the user side of it as well i always have thought that that line is very interesting um because what would kylo ren do with that what would kylo ren do with that weapon right what would he do with the lightsaber um 
it's 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 interesting, you know. I think he would do the same thing that he's he's done with kind of everything else. You know, we don't we we know that um Kylo was aware to some degree of uh, obviously Anakin and Vader to which degree I, it might be more written about um, as far as, you know, right now in this, this conversation here, I don't know if he has all of the details on what happened. He's definitely been twisted into believing that, you know, I will finish what you started that Vader's work was not completed, that Vader right. didn't turn right. uh, and, and, and kind of have that return of the Jedi moment, you know, there. So he still believes, believes that maybe that was kind of the true person uh, purpose of vader i think that that would be definitely interesting to look at i, I kind of i'm like can we take a pause I, I just want to dive in deep on the wikipedia <laughs> and see like how much does kylo uh, does kylo know um my point being i think he would do the same thing that he's always done is used maybe what is there being this this truth about his grandfather or this blue kyber crystal in the skywalker blade but really try to twist it into fitting in his own kind of myopic worldview of what the truth is the same thing that he did to luke you know we see those different versions of that story and in luke igniting his saber just for a split second but immediately regretting it in kylo's eyes he was looming over him with this vicious look of evil you know just waiting to strike down his nephew i think it would do the same thing to that blade is twist it into fitting in his own you know vision of hate he would probably try to bleed the crystal just like he did um uh his own lightsaber it did make me think though because i actually don't know where you stand on this and i'd be curious to to talk about it and it seems like a good venue to have it where do you stand on the anakin luke ray debate of it all who when you see that okay. blade yeah. in your mind it, it, what what do you d d uh, as a fan d d you know decide to call that uh i think i think most of the time because it's not like a conscious thing um but typically i go anakin's lightsaber that's kind of the that's and, and it's only because it's the earliest lineage to say that it was anakin's that made its way to Luke that made its way to Ray, you know? Mm -hmm. I think for me, I understand in that moment, um, that when Anakin is wielding it, it is Anakin's lightsaber. When Luke is wielding it, it is Luke's lightsaber. And then when Ray is wielding it, it is Ray's lightsaber. I, however, I do think that in the grand you know scope of things if you were to show me that and we're like well whose lightsaber is this i typically call it the skywalker blade you know because right. uh, that's that seems to be the way to kind of please everything that's how ray identifies is to be a skywalker that's obviously you know a fitting title for luke and anakin so for me uh, i'm typically just kind of a skywalker person however if you want to go specifically what is that lightsaber in empire strikes back to me, it's Luke's lightsaber because he Luke is wielding it. Luke is using it. You know, uh, if I get a new car, it's not so and so's. <laughs> you know, Toyota Camry. It's mine. Yeah, it's a used right, car, but right. it's still mine. You know, <laughs> well, uh, he can't I just like start driving also, the thing. You know, it also depends on. I mean, this is dumb, but it, it does depend on the design changing from film to film. Sure, you show me two pictures, I'm like, oh, well, that one's Anakin's, that one's Luke's from Empire. Totally, yeah, you know, yeah. It's also difficult because you have you know Luke and Ray who have their own, who have constructed their own lightsabers. Yes. So I can look at Luke's and be like, that's Luke's lightsaber, you yes. know, and that's the one that I associate with Luke and only Luke. And same with Ray, she eventually gets her own. Um, so it's difficult, but 
if you slap a leather wristband on that lightsaber, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's Ray's lightsaber, you know? Yeah, yeah. And even with Anakin, he originally had a different lightsaber. And then that right. was the one that we see is presumably the one that he constructed himself. But, you know, you have that inherited sense there of, of it being transferred down. So I think when it is given to somebody that is is their lightsaber until further notice, you know. Uh, so, yeah, generally, you know, it's kind of beside the point. Little tangent to me, it's Skywalker Blade. But uh, I can understand the different perspectives of some people say, no, it's Anakin's. No, it's Luke's. No, it's Ray's. I, I understand. Generally, Skywalker Blade, just for me. Um, but I also wanted to mention um, in kind of our, our bigger discussion here uh, of how the sequel trilogy does treat the lightsaber. I, th- I think it treats it a lot more... Uh, with a lot more sense of mysticism, it seems to be a lot more mythical. Um, and I'm I'm also looping in kind of the Disney Plus era limited series stuff um, because I think it truly leans into that Arthurian side of things more. Of that, this weapon is a weapon of responsibility, um, but it is also a weapon and a symbol for others, a symbol of hope. Um, yes, it could be a symbol of, of you know, uh, death and despair, but like we see, especially in Last Jedi, it is a symbol uh, to kind of light uh, the sense of inspiration in a lot of people. And I also think we see a lot of that with how the Mandalorian treats the Darksaber, is that this weapon that you use, your conviction, your uh, kind of emotional attachment to this weapon is going to even influence how you as a user are able to wield it. That was one of my favorite things that was introduced in the Book of Boba Fett, is if you are not emotionally tied to this saber, you're not going to be very proficient with it. If you have a lot of uh, reservations about your own, you know, kind of confidence in wielding this as a leader, um, that is going to impact your ability to uh, use this weapon in combat. I thought that that was super fascinating. You and I even talked about at the time that that is like, you know, some very, <laughs> very Arthurian kind of uh, discussions to be had right, there. But yeah. yeah, I think the sequel trilogy as a whole, when you have Ray extending that lightsaber to Luke, it's not just here's a gun, you know, come kill the <laughs> bad guy. It's I need you to pick up this torch, to pick up this mantle and light the way for everybody else because we can't do it without you. And I think it's right. I think uh, above almost kind of any other time, maybe, you know, uh, in, in all of Star Wars, this weapon that, you know, means so much to us as fans means more than just this is a tool and a cool toy. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, some pew pews. No, this is a symbol and it means something. And I think it's a large part, in, you know, kind of uh, as a result of, you know, Star Wars is is inherently generational. You know, seeing this weapon we've kind of already discussed is an isolated Star Wars thing, even though it might be in other properties, it is a Star Wars weapon. You look at that, and even if it's a generic Kmart version, it's a lightsaber. You know, it's almost kind of like the Kleenex, you know? Kleenex yes. is a brand. <laughs> you can get tissue, but no, it's Star Wars is the the kind of the, the home of the lightsaber. And so I think even as fans, we kind of attribute this sanctity to this weapon. And I think the sequel trilogy is a direct response to that. Yeah, there, there's a lot to be said kind of about the the way that it's been used, you know, in each. I think that the the overarching thread is is still there, that it's kind of that, you know, um, like you had said, kind of the, the responsibility that's attached to it. 
And it's, you know, it's a little bit jokey in the prequels. Uh, Obi-Wan's going to kill me or, you know, you know, when he loses his lightsaber again, he like picks it up for him or whatever. Well, Um, well, I mean, you and even I had talked about it in Attack of the Clones where like Obi-Wan and Anakin, you know, they, they kind of bicker of like this weapon is your life. But at the end of the movie, they're just like tossed spares, you know, (laughs) they're just like, this is fine. This will do, you know? Yes. And that's, that's one of those things. Yes, it's played as a joke, but you know, the, I, I mean, Maybe it's reading into it. They don't win that fight when they're using lightsabers that aren't theirs. It's true. Just saying, you know. That's true. That's true. Um, and it reminds me of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the through line of the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and the sequel trilogy um, when it comes to lightsabers as a weapon. It it reminds me of the the Full Metal Jacket quote, um, you know, the without me, my, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I'm useless. Yeah, there are many like it, but this one's mine. That sure, sort of thing. Sure, sure. Um, where you know there is an ownership attached, but the ownership is you know is not just you know you can you can say yeah this this gun is mine and and it's important to me and I'm important to it. That's ownership. That's all well and good, but mm-hmm. it changes when you're adding this this level of responsibility and this level of nobility to say beyond ownership there is. Um, there is kind of that attached, you know, this lightsaber means things to me and without this lightsaber more than just I'm useless, but I will not be able to do the best of my ability, right? That's kind of the thing there with Attack of the Clones is yes, Obi-Wan and Anakin get tossed some spares and they're like, yeah, I can, I can fight with this because I know how to. Yeah. So it's not that they're useless without their lightsaber, but it's that without their lightsaber, they are not their complete and full and capable self. There is a sense of self attached to the lightsaber that is part of the wielder um, in a way that's, you know, in some parts it's explained, like with the darksaber. Yes, that's, you know, that's a huge part of it, even though it's not directly connected to force users. I don't think that the Mandalorian is, you know, force sensitive. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, there's speculation, whatever, who cares? Sure. Um, but, you know, when it comes to someone like Sabine, wielding the dark saber and having to learn that, you know, she is going to get out of it, what she puts into it. And that would, you know, the same would be true with a traditional lightsaber as well, that you have someone like Yoda, whose connection to the force, you know, makes him a strong lightsaber wielder, right? It's not that he's doing Pilates every single day and he's, you know, has never skipped a leg day. (laughs) It's that he has such a strong connection to the force that allows him as is talked about in the book of Boba Fett, yeah, you know, Luke says, oh, I knew a guy once, his name was Yoda, and he used the force to kind of help him move around and maneuver quickly. Yeah. And he was a proficient fighter because of it. It's just these, you know, these interweaving ideas that come together into, you know, this, this style of combat that at its core was just the cool thing. It was just, oh, in space, I bet they would do this. Yeah. And it was the coolest thing ever. And we can sit here and talk about it for nearly an hour, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's it, crazy. Your, your uh, Yoda Pilates comment kind of brings new meaning to, you know, when 900 years old. <laughs> Look as good, <laughs> you will not. It's not because of his species. It's because <laughs> Yoda takes care hey, of man. himself, man. His body, is a, his body is a Jedi temple. <laughs> Absolutely. And you don't put garbage into it. That's right. That's right. No, but yeah, I, I think your, your idea of... Um, I think uh, I might be mis mishearing you, but um, for me, I think I disagree a little bit as far as your your personal 
I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I half agree, half disagree in regards to, okay, you, you have this weapon that is not yours, but you're not going to be as proficient as the weapon that you create. I think that that is true. However, I do think that when I think about Ray, especially in The Force Awakens, Maz says, this weapon calls to you. So I don't know if it's necessarily, at least for me, about your personal ownership of this weapon, more about what is the will of the Force and what is your emotional connection to this weapon? Not necessarily one that you you know, sought out the kyber crystal and that you you know, crafted yourself, obviously that's going to give you an emotional connection to it. But when Leia gives Ray, you know, her lightsaber, uh, you know, she has this connection to it because she has a connection to, to, to Leia rather than she just goes down to, you know, Black Spire Outpost and just buys one, you know, it's, she's not yeah. going to be as proficient with this rep, with this weapon, like we see with, with Finn, he uses it as a weapon where hers is a channel through the force that's something that we see a lot in the the or that we hear about a lot in the the high republic is that this weapon is a way to channel the force and they also use it as a way to channel it further into the ships that they pilot you know that makes them their connection with the force is going to make them more proficient of these things rather than they did a lot of push-ups and a lot of flips in the you know in (laughs) dagobah so now they're good with the lightsaber that's not the point, you know, then right. Yoda says that. That's why I was even back in 2015, 16-year-old Garrett was like, no, you know, Ray losing this <laughs> or winning this lightsaber battle doesn't have anything to do with that. It's, it's the whole connection. Kylo's obviously emotionally pretty conflicted about what's going on here. Just killed his dad not too long ago. Don't know if you missed that part. But uh, <laughs> again, a different conversation for a different day. No, that's that's a really good point, too, because even, you know, and it's not that Star Wars because I didn't even think about that. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that Star Wars is inconsistent there. Um, That's not at all what it is. And, you know, when when the lightsaber does call to Ray, that's, you know, not saying that it's like, you know, a special case, but, you know, in terms of what we have seen before mm-hmm. out of the pool of things, whether it's somebody, you know, being handed a lightsaber and, and that's their connection to it. You know, Luke's lightsaber, his first weapon was his father's. And I would yeah. have to assume that there is connection there as his connection in the force grows. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of that, you have someone like Cal Kestis who is using his master's weapon. Yep. Of course, there's, you know, there's connection there and there's proficiency there. And that sort of gets taken up a notch when he constructs his own in the sense that, you know, he gets new abilities, right? It's a video game, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that idea, though, yes, that's, you know, there are cases where that sort of thing can't really be measured by just oh, do you, you know, what level of ownership do you have over this weapon? Yeah. Um, And maybe that just, you know, maybe that comes down to weapon being, you know, a weapon being passed down to you or or something like that. But there's, you know, the ownership side of it comes into play when it's, you know, that intentional kind of crafting of and connection to a very specific weapon. Well, Vader know. even says as much in Return of the Jedi. He says, I see you have constructed a new lightsaber. You know, your skills are now complete. So he, yes. even he is, I mean, because he's done it uh, probably twice now. <laughs> um, <laughs> a few, a few times, me. actually. Yeah, because uh, he loses his lightsaber uh, and, you know, gets a new fancy red one, too. So he knows, you know, the connection to uh, this, this lightsaber. And I also, you know, kind of, 
it's a, I guess maybe not a lightsaber specific, you know, kind of comment, but in empire strikes back, Reese says, uh, you know, you are not a Jedi yet. It's, it is this bit of Anakin kind of coming out of like, no, I know what it takes. And it's kind of the same thing. It's that kind of that poetry with return of the Jedi is he's like, no, I've made a lightsaber and I know what this means. It is kind of the, the, you know, two sides of that in empire he's saying you're not a Jedi. And then in return of the Jedi, he's, you know, now is saying that you are a Jedi. So, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think that, uh, uh, kind of goes to what you're talking about here is this admittance that, you know, you could you, when you craft it and it's yours, there is kind of a, a unique connection to it. Right. So that's, you know, and obviously case by case, it's fun to look at those things because there are different cases, but yeah. it, you know, it's, and that's, I mean, kind of brings us back full circle of the idea of, I was hesitant to buy a lightsaber because I wanted to make my own. I wanted yeah. it to be, you know, I wanted that experience to be unique to me. And, you know, it still stings a little bit when, you know, I, I follow this, the store that I purchased from on, on Twitter and I see other people, you know, reviewing these lightsabers that they've bought. And, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't actually, you know, bother me, but it does sting where it's like, I can look right now, I'm looking right now at my lightsaber and I think it's gorgeous and I think it's amazing and that's mine. Mm-hmm. But I know that, you know, a thousand other people in the country purchased one a couple weeks ago, you know, and it it looks just like it. And that is, you know, that's part of that thing where living in this, in this kind of fantasy of how do we do star Wars in real life? Mm -hmm. Um, that, that carries over in a weird way, you know, I, you know, with you and your lightsaber, I could, you know, you can kind of assume like, Yes, there's a limited number of combinations, but I built this one. It's not that, you know, there may not be anything else like it, but I built this one and I put it together and I have a connection to it. And there is something different there. But, you know, over Christmas when you're back in Indiana and I travel down there, when we fight, you know, with our lightsabers, are you going to win because you built yours and I didn't build mine? Who's to say? Well, only time will tell. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this, the, you know, throughout the different ages and, and kind of just even our sensibilities as an audience of what we like to see and what we look for in the prequels, it was this like a post matrix kind of world where, you know, this, this quick action, you know, watching it's, it's that whole thing with the, uh, scene, whatever, whatever that fan thing is called with, you know, a scene 38 or, or is that what oh, it yes. is? Yeah. Scene 38 reimagined. Yeah. That, that whole thing, I'm kind of just like, you miss the point, you know, maybe go back and watch it again. But um, it is kind of this idea that as Star Wars evolves, our relationship with lightsabers is going to evolve and and what that means, what certain blades mean to us and even, you know, down to the colors and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very excited to see uh, kind of the further evolution of the lightsabers in Star Wars, what uh, appeals to fans as we're probably going to be exploring past generations and in other Star Wars projects like Andor that you know, are not even going to have lightsabers, presumably, you know, um, I'm definitely excited to see these further, uh, adventures of the lightsaber explored and, uh, you know, our understanding of what this, uh, uh, magical mysterious weapon, uh, you know, really means for these characters and, and what these battles mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think those things are going to change over time. And, you know, when we expect change in star Wars, I think things are only going to get cooler 
from here on yeah. out. You know, Hell yeah. And I just can't wait to see more cool lightsabers too. You know, like uh, to right. see other weird designs and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I, I, I've become in, and I think Star Wars generally, uh, Star Wars fans generally are too. Of you know, expanding the idea of what does a lightsaber look like. You know, look at the High Republic. They've got cross guards and all this cool stuff, and uh, that's definitely a prequel thing of you know the double bladed lightsaber. And I, I still remember all the memes from 2015 where Kylo ignites his, and then it's like a Swiss Army knife, all that kind of stuff. All that to say, yes. I'm excited for some more cool lightsabers, and I'm very excited uh, for yes us to eventually duel with ours. So, um, you know, uh, either we're going to be finding a new co-host or a new host because one of <laughs> us got defeated. I guess uh, only time will tell. <laughs> yeah, so we'll let you guys know uh, how our our sword fight goes. Exactly. Boom. Final innuendo. Hell of yeah. <laughs> Couldn't have ended it better myself. Uh, but do you want to go ahead and wrap it up and take us home? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at ScumVillainPod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah to George. And Gary McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys. See you guys.